Hello, and welcome to our fifth episode of Amplified Autistics in Conversation with Reframing Autism. I'm Ginny Grant, an autistic advocate, a writer, and Reframing Autism's communications manager. Today, I'm thrilled to be chatting with Tigger Pritchard. Tigger is an awesomely autistic, autism and pathological demand avoidance advocate, trainer and consultant based in England. Tigger has devoted the past 30 years to working with neurodivergent individuals in many capacities. He consults to individuals, families, and organizations, sharing his extensive skills, knowledge, and lived experience. And he's the longest serving Makaton, that's keyword sign tutor, in the United Kingdom. He's also involved with the National Autistic Society in the County of Cornwall. And he runs the Facebook page, The Autistic Coffee Shop with Tigger Pritchard, which features a wealth of autistic and professional resources, as well as an Instagram account and YouTube channel. And for anyone wondering, Tigger is his legal name. For those of you who are new to this podcast series, Reframing Autism is an Australian-based not-for-profit organisation which is run by and for autistic people and their families and allies. It is dedicated to creating a world in which the autistic community is supported to achieve acceptance, inclusion and active citizenship. And we're all about nurturing and celebrating autistic identity. Welcome to Amplified, Tigger. Oh, Let's... thank you so much. I'm just, I laughed at the bit where you, you said about Tigger being my real name. So many people um, think about it and don't ask. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very candid. I, I, um, my birth name was Terry way back in the 60s. Um, they're, they're a Welsh family. They expected a girl. And my name would have been Sean. Um, and I popped along a couple of months early, but I never felt like Terry fitted me. I was, I was named it quickly on the spot because I, two minutes prematurely, I thought I wasn't going to survive the evening. And then years ago, people started calling me Tigger for a variety of reasons. It stuck and I changed it. And many people do just look, there's that kind of look where they think, is that his name? <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and thank you. But I'm, I'm so honoured uh, to be, to, to be on this podcast, to, to, to see you again. Um, and, and thank you for the, the, the very, very kind, kind words. You're very welcome. So let's uh, start with your autism journey. Can you tell us a little bit about when and how you discovered that you're autistic? Well, here you go. I was, am a professional in the autistic world and have been for over 30 years and in loads of places. But last summer in a back garden in Cornwall, at my partner's house, I stood outside in the back garden. Actually, I was sitting down having a cup of coffee. I'd like coffee. Thinking, this isn't right. I, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't fit into the house. I was, just things weren't working right. And I just thought, what's going on? And after all those years as a professional, I suddenly sat down and I suddenly thought to myself, and realised, I went, you're autistic. That's why, that's why, that's why, that's why. And it slowly dawned upon me. And I then saw my, my partner and said to her and went, hi, I think we're having a complex time. I'm having a complex time because. And she beautifully just went, okay. And then, so really for me, that self-identification is, isn't even a year old yet. I've yet wow. to celebrate my first year birthday, so to speak. So it, it's new, but it's um, it was, it started last summer just thinking, why I didn't feel like everybody else in that house 
on why I just everything seemed to be to be different from them. And really, it was a, a light bulb moment, for want of a better term, where I suddenly sat there and went, hang on a minute, this is why. And then since then, as the saying goes, almost everything, I've got a long journey to go on, is making sense of not just, you know, the months I was in lockdown, that first lockdown, but also the years, the decades that preceded. Um, and very much so making sense, which is which is fascinatingly interesting. So what has it been like for you only sort of just realising and embracing this part of yourself later in your life? Well, it's... The, the, there's that professional bit where I thought to myself, "Well, hang on a minute. You've been, you've been, you know, been working with with, with neurodivergent individuals in, in the world of autistic experiences, done a lot of things for years. You've only just realised." Um, and also, um, the thing that fascinated me most was when I started to open up to people close to me um, and say, "You know, people I've known in, in professional setting, people that know me as friends for for several decades." They were all kind of shocked to begin with. I was very nervous by how they were shocked, but they were shocked not because I was saying I'm autistic. They were shocked because they went, what, didn't you know? And I was like, what? And they went, didn't you know? And I went, what do you mean, didn't I know? And they were going, we've known for years. There, there, there was there was one young man I spoke to who'd known me, I think, for 25 years, and he went, the first day I met you, I just went, yeah, he's autistic. So that did kind of knock me a bit, I must confess, um, for a professional viewpoint. Um, but what's it been like realising later in life? All of a sudden, huge parts of my life are making sense, whereas before they didn't. Whereas before I might think it was, a, yeah, a, a mental health issue where uh, things didn't work out as I planned, where sometimes I'd be saying and doing things and people's reactions would be like, what's going on here? Um, it just it just begins to make, to make sense, really. And, and what I'm on now is this amazing gorgeous complex frightening scary beautiful journey of realizing who i am that that self-awareness that self-realization of who tigger actually is who tigger actually was and who i'm becoming um there's also a lot of rethinking about who i am not just personally but professionally as well so a lot of things i've done over the past 30 years um a lot of training i've done a lot of stuff i've delivered i, I now look back and I think well no 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 because um, you know that 30 years I've seen a lot of things change you know it, it, I can remember when I, I worked for a care provider in in this county of Cornwall and I remember in 1987 um, as there were I think 10 individuals living um, in this in this house I was told that these are the only 10 people those terms with autism old terms in Cornwall at that time and I was like wow okay and, and, you know, I, I remember standing out at the premiere of Rain Man um, at the cinema in Cornwall in Truro and, and you know, everything that's gone since. So I've been on that journey of huge changes, which I've embraced along the way, thankfully, because I've been educated by awesome friends and individuals and families and colleagues and so on. But now it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've not even got my first birthday, so to speak, yet. <laughs> so every day something new pops into my head or I read something or I research something or... I'm doing a lot about masking at the moment. I'm thinking, oh, wow, wow, that all makes sense. Um, yes, it's, and I am, my brain is all over the place at the moment with <laughs> reading, with thinking, with digesting, and, and a lot of internal thinking. But also, you know, the other thing is I've got to, I've got to open up a lot more about myself to the people that are very close to me. And that isn't easy, because I'm always afraid, as we all are, of rejection. And also that honesty of, 
you know, even I, I, on my, my YouTube clips, I did a video about um, cupboard doors. Uh, my partner's house is open plan downstairs. And so you've got the, the living room in the kitchen. And every time one of those cupboard doors banged, it was like an explosion. It was like a rocket. I was having a real a PTSD reaction to that. And it would accumulate over a period of time. And I'd literally run out of the house and sit on top of the garden for hours just to get away from those cupboard doors. And I, I very quickly purchased those, those dampeners you put on them. So the doors close quietly. Um, and I remember at the time saying, blah, 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 blah. You know, I just don't like the noise and so on. And then actually sitting down and saying, look, this is why I recoil when that door bangs. I feel sick when that door bangs. I feel frightened when that door bangs. I have to get out when that door bangs. And realising that, thankfully, I've got really gorgeous accepting individuals around me. But it was, I mean, that's, that's vulnerability, isn't it? It's saying, look, you know, I, I am scared by a cupboard door banging to the extent that I need to get out of the house after a while because I just can't take it anymore. So it's it's a, it, I'm loving it in some ways. It's hard work, um, but I wish I'd realised maybe at 45 or 35 because <laughs> <laughs> that might have made a bit of a difference, but I didn't. I realised at 55 and I'm really glad I did. It's never too late. So you've uh, described the world of autism as your passion in life. How did that passion develop? I moved from Wolverhampton, which is a place in the Midlands in England, to Cornwall back in the mid to late 80s. And I'd known some some individuals, some new diverse individuals up in that part of the country. Moved down to Cornwall, did some volunteer work, and it all kind of started from there. But very early on, I knew where I felt safe. I knew where I fitted in. I knew, and this is it. This is what I know now. I would go into a room and I'd think, yeah, that's noisy. Yeah, that cupboard door is horrible. Yeah, that toes on too loud. Oh, God, no, that chair's not right. All that light's too bright. All that light's, I mean, all that kind of stuff, yeah? I just get it. And I think that was when my passion came along. I think, to be brutally honest, I think I felt safe. I felt me. I realise that now in all those environments I went to in the schools, in the colleges, um, with early years, with, with the care providers I worked for, I fitted in, I felt safe. So initially it was, it was through my work. And, and even, even very recently, well, you know, the past decade or so, I was extremely passionate about people understanding the autistic experience and getting it right and, and listen to my bit of passion, but also, also at that point, you know, that time ago, listen to the actual voice of, of autistic individuals and learning from reality and their experience. And I think I just, I just felt safe. I look back at it now and I think, yeah, you felt totally safe. You felt totally you. I didn't feel like me anywhere else. I really felt like me in those classrooms. Um, I had a, um, uh, the thing about safety, I had a, a family wedding several years ago. And I, I was scared, right? I mean, I was scared. I was really scared. All these people I had met before, I was petrified. And then um, a young individual came in, a young neurodiverse individual came in. Boom, there I went. They'd all said, oh, you've got to meet Tigger, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I sat down on the floor with this guy. I, I chatted. I communicated um, appropriately and so on. And just at that moment in time, I felt safe. And that's why, and that's where I think the passion has come from because it's me. So you know, and, and and recently that passion has grown. And I've met so many amazing families, individuals over the years that have helped me, supported me, taught me, re-educated me gorgeously, and still are. And I think that passion just came from that. But I think it came from the fact that I felt that's where I felt safe. That's where I felt I fitted in. And I realise that now. I didn't then, but I do now. 
and it, it is it's it's consume it's all consuming for me if i have a a, a very strong interest then this is it this is what i want to do this is what i love doing and it's that that drive to re-educate people at the moment um especially with their understanding of what the autistic experience is is huge and extremely important because so many people get it wrong for a variety of reasons um but yeah, so the, the 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 passion I think came from my soul. The passion came from the fact that that's where I felt safe, and all of a sudden that's where I felt I could make a difference. And I understood why somebody didn't like the environment, or there was a sensory overload going on, or the communication needed to be uncluttered, and so on and so forth. And I, I just I just fitted in, and from there grew this. Yeah, this is what I want to do, and it just it just oh, consumes me. Fantastic. And I can absolutely relate to having that really strong passion to re-educate um, as well. Um, so you have a particular interest in pathological demand avoidance or PDA. This is an autistic profile that's only just gaining recognition across the world. Can you explain briefly what PDA is for our listeners who might not have come across that, that term? It's 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 only well. It's been around since the 80s in terms of, of, of Elizabeth Newson looking at it. She was a, a, an individual in, in England who, who was working with a range of individuals who were also autistic. And she began to think to herself, hey, I'm meeting people. It's like autism, but. And so many people go, oh, it's like autism, but. Mm-hmm. And, and, and though the majority of the planet understands um, what it means to be autistic um, in an ever-changing flow, because it's changing very quickly, uh, and we understand that, that it's a... You know, being autistic is is dimensional, and you know you've got overlapping differences and, and and challenges and strengths that present differently and so forth. PDA is, yeah, it's relatively new. It's very new, really. If you look at the eighties, to me the eighties only seems like yesterday, but it's not, <laughs> is it? I know that's why age coming out again. See, you've got this. Um, you've got pathological. So. You've got pathological demand avoidance. I think to myself, right, let's break this down a bit. What does pathological mean? Very often people get stuck on the pathological bit, but they shouldn't. There's a lot of debate about whether or not it's the right term to use, but it's there and it works. And I say to myself, look, pathological shows that these actions that we are seeing are completely out of control of the individual. When you look at the demand bit and you think, hey, think of a demand, think of any demand, think of an external demand, an, an indirect demand, uh, um, an implied demand. I mean, people, you know, it, in, internal demands, the need to eat, you know, the, the, the need to self-regulate, the need to go to the toilet. These, these are demands that sometimes we don't see for individuals because we just, we just expect them to be there. We don't understand the pressure they can put upon somebody. And you've got the external demands of our routines, get up, go to school go to work, eat this, sit there, so on and so forth. And then you've got the avoidance bit. And I, I say this strongly again and again and again to people, the avoidance bit is I cannot do this. So I often look at PDA as a, and, and hey, I learned from PDA as an, oh, there are some awesome ones out there. There's this need, it's, it's a huge response to threat and anxiety. And therefore you have that need to be in control, to reduce that incredible threat and anxiety response to all those things that are going on that are out of your control, both internal and external. Um, I mean, if, 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 if I may say, if I may say just for a moment, you know, let, let's have a bit of fun. Um, if, you, if, you, if you're okay taking part in this, so what I'd love to do now is I'd love to do some maths questions. Is that all right? I love maths, right? So what I'm going to do is, is ask you some maths questions. 
I'll go through them on air. We'll keep them in the podcast and you just answer them verbally. Is that all right? Not happening. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. No, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen at all yet. But I do that very sneakily, very cheekily, sometimes to give people that insight of all of a sudden your anxiety levels have mm. gone through the ceiling, if I can use that term. Oh, your face was a picture. It was lush, yeah? It was like, <laughs> oh, well, man, this ain't happening. This ain't going to happen at all, yeah? Um, but, what, but what I'm trying to show with that is I'm trying to show that that anxiety level is huge. All of a sudden, it's only a small example, but all of a sudden you were not in control of what was happening. You were faced with something that made you extremely anxious and extremely frightened, and you wanted to get control, and the only way you could get control there was to say, no, it ain't happening. Forgive me for... For it's a great words, it's a great yeah. example and, and you did but happen it, to pick a subject that I'm sorry I'm I really sorry. struggled with sorry I, I actually I actually hey I'm a closet physicist closet astronomer <laughs> all the rest of it but I can't do maths for love and money so if somebody did that to me I'd, I'd run out of the room but I've done that over many years trying to get across you know an understanding of how quickly how devastating that response can be for people you know, if you multiply it by several thousand thousand and I've, I've had some people go, I've had people go, no, I'm sorry, you're not. Very forcibly back at me. And then I do what I've done now. I go, actually, sorry, calm down. Do you know what happened then? And it is just that realisation. So I, the, 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 there's the, the PDA Society in uh, Great Britain, who I adore. Uh, parent-led, professional-led, PDA-led. They have a wealth of information about what, what PDA is. And in Australia and New Zealand, there is... Um, PDA ANZ, which is the Pathology Mind Avoidance Australia and New Zealand, which I found mm-hmm. that's on the PDA website. Mm-hmm. Just for, look at those places. I mean, you have a you have an individual who is on the autistic profile, and then you've got a list of criteria such as you know obsessively, persistently, dramatically, pathologically resisting ordinary demands, ordinary demands. Brush your teeth, you know, stand up, sit down. You've got the bit about um you know being sociable but that sociability that's there for somebody is really there's a term socially strategic and another friend of mine says yeah they're manipulating the situation to reduce the demands yeah and you've got i mean you know there's aspects here this is on the pda website and other places as well you get a bit about the the sudden emotions and mood swings suddenly switching um and you often hear the, the term jekyll and hyde and those emotions suddenly switching bang just like that um and it goes on from, you know, being comfortable in role-playing, pretending, focusing intently sometimes on people. But that need for control, it definitely is uh, an incredible response, an automatic response to threat and anxiety. And that's why I often say to people, you know, it's not, it's, it's a, a PDA is not, I don't feel like doing this today. A PDA is not having power games. A PDA is not, ah, I'll have a bit of a giggle here. A PDA is driven by a huge fear around anxiety and threats that those demands give, both internally and externally. And the response is that. Um, there, are, there are some great PDAs out there, some great YouTube clips. I, as I've said already, I adore the PDA Society. It's one of the, the best websites I know with continually updating information. And there's a, there's a lot of wealth and stuff out there, but it, it's, it's something I have a passion about. And I think I have a strong passion about it because so many, it's, it's not in the diagnostic manuals. I'm not saying I like the diagnostic manuals either. That's, that's a big one for me. Don't want to go there at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, but it's not in the diagnostic manuals. So you have so many professionals that families, individuals meet that, that diss it straight away, 
who will go straight to I'm sorry, bad parenting, you know, environmental stuff, all the rest of it, without looking at the reality of that neurotype, which drives me. Uh, my apologies. Um, and it, and it's, that's something that I feel very strongly about at the moment. You have a lot of awesome individuals and families that took me over the years and, and that I, I'm, I'm meeting who, you know, at that first reaching out for help are dismissed straight away. And that's something that has to stop. And so, you know, PDA Society of Gorgeous, there's myself, there's other people out there who are continually fighting battles to make some professionals not all understand that the world of PDA does exist. There's, there's that lovely quote, and I won't use the full words, but it's a, it's an image I've shared sometimes, and it's about it's about Pluto being discovered, I think, in the 1930s by Clyde Tom Rowe, is it? I'm very bad at pronouncing names. But it was discovered in the 1930s, and somebody writes at the bottom, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was there before then. Yeah, just because it wasn't discovered doesn't mean it didn't exist. The same goes for, you know, being autistic. The same goes for, for PDA, pathological around avoidance. But it is, it is a fascinating subject because it's new. It's very often misunderstood. But the thing I dislike intensely at the moment is so many people sometimes just ignore it, say it doesn't exist because it's not in those manuals. Just think further than that. Those manuals are not um, perfect. And it's, you know, and, and, and get to the, the websites I've mentioned, there's a, there's a huge wealth of information there um, about pattern demand avoidance. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with the National Autistic Society? Um, the National Autistic Society is um, Great Britain. Um, I first got involved with it about 20-odd years ago when I was a, a lecturer at a local college, and I'd go to the meetings to learn, really. Um, the NES is a, it was set up initially by parents back in the 60s, 70s, um, initially parent led. Um, and it's the first, one of the first organizations of its kind in the planet to, to look at raising awareness, um, uh, around individuals who are awesome and autistic and their families. Um, very recently about, um, I, I had a teaching career that came to an end about seven years ago because I decided I'd had enough and I went freelance and, and literally coinciding with that. Um, and, and, and doing the other stuff that I do. I was approached because I'd known the National Autistic Society group in Cornwall for a long time, and that it was it was in difficulty. It's a volunteer group. We are volunteers. And um, and, I, and I, I, you've got to give back to the planet, if that makes sense. You have to. And I thought, hey, I'm doing this bit as a professional. I'm doing this bit as freelance and so on. But I also need to do this. So I got involved again, but in a much larger capacity than I ever had before, I was originally vice chair and then the, the then chair had to leave because of other responsibilities. And, and I just took over the position of, 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 of chair very kindly. We are a very small group and we, we do what we can in this very big county duchy of Cornwall. Um, there's only a handful of us, but, but even then, even then before I knew um, about being awesomely autistic, um, you know, the, 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 there's the, you know, that, that, that awesomely autistic-ness is there in my family. And, um, but even then, I was very passionate about the fact that the National Autistic Society in Cornwall had to have a genuine, authentic autistic voice, which at that point, I didn't realise part of that would be me. <laughs> so I, I, I tried to get involved individuals who were either diagnosed, forgive that term, identified, self-identified as autistic as part of what we do. I set up a Facebook page, uh, which is another Facebook page I run. And um, 
specifically for, for families and individuals in, in Cornwall. And it was about raising awareness and also raising awareness of what it is, what being autistic means in the 21st century, not the 20th century, not that medical model, which so many people still get. This is, this is, this is where the passion comes from. I am fed up of, I mean, a friend of mine shared some up-to-date online training the other day that, that, that they are doing to gain a module in, in autism awareness. And whoa, you know, she wrote a letter of complaint straight away to this to this body saying, whoa, you're using language that's 30 years out of date. You're using diagrams that are really, you know, using terminology that is very, very horrific for some people. And there are puzzle pictures, puzzle pieces mm-hmm. everywhere. And, and, and that's going to change. So, so yes, yeah, so, so part of the, the reason I got involved with the National Autistic Society in Cornwall and what I'm doing now very much so is to, to make sure there's a balance and to make sure there is a strong representation of authentically autistic voices involved in this um, voluntary group in Cornwall. And, and that then pushes us to develop in terms of what we do with regards to it, what we can do at this present moment in time, which is mostly Zoom-based and, and Facebook based to educate people. So, you know, it's amazing stuff from, from your pages I share onto uh, the NES Facebook page. I make sure with the others that are there that we share really up to date information. And as I'm sure you know, the knowledge of some individuals, of some, of some family members through no fault of their own, of some professionals through no fault of their own, is really out of date. Um, and so I'm hoping, pulling, dragging, working with some of the great people on the committee. Uh, to, to, to bring the knowledge of, of what it means to be autistic in the 21st century to the people of Cornwall. There's some amazing people out there. It's just getting that knowledge base across to everybody. Um, so the NES, it's, it's a volunteer position. I love it. Um, I love it again because I'm saying, you know, it's that changing people's attitudes. It's that, you know, like I said, that, that, that friend of mine joined this and paid for this online training course to gain some qualifications as part of their job. And boom, it's horrifically out of date. And yet this is what people are getting. If you go to some areas and you say, boom, you're getting very out of date stuff. I mean, the the, um, the NES um, had their AGM last week and I virtually, of course, so joined in. And, and I found out that the, the present chair of the NES in um, the country, Britain, is leaving. They've had their 10 years and they're looking for someone new. And I just wrote a little bit saying it's so important the person that now leads the NES in Great Britain has to be awesomely autistic because then it's it's true. Then it's viable. Um, and so I did, I, I shared a bit on various pages and went, here's the email. If you want to write and say it'd be really good if, if the NES had somebody awesomely autistic in charge because I think that's authenticity. Um, so I, I love what I do with the NES. It's another outlet for my passion. And I love the educational side bit of saying to people, ah, no, 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 you're wrong. Hey, look at this. This is so much better. This is so much more up to date. Have a look at this. Rethink about that. And that's something I love doing a lot because it's happened to me over the past, you know, three decades plus. That sounds sound like <clears throat> very um, valuable work. And I absolutely love your insistence on autistic representation um, uh, within um, the organisation. Um, and I also love the way you always say, awesomely autistic. Sorry. <laughs> I apologise for that. Did you hear me? Oh, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's, you know, what, what fascinates me was, again, 
that passion in my soul was there for a reason I didn't know. I am autistically, awesomely autistic. Um, but but wow, since last summer, it's like I've gone into overdrive. Mm-hmm. I I cannot, I will not tolerate, if I said that correctly, misinformation, out-of-date information. Um, and there is there is so much out there where, you know, even, you know, I, I work a lot with, there are some amazing parent groups in in the county of Cornwall as well that I've, I've, some of them I've known for decades too. And they're going, yeah, we all knew you were autistic, Tigger. Uh, and even even with the conversation, you know, with other parents and individuals I know, you know, I'm still hearing things like, you know, you can't be autistic because, you know, parents are being told your son can't be autistic because he's looking at me in the eyes. He's really quite communicative, you know. He's 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 playing games with me. He's you know interacting, and you just keep, well, hang on, this is so out of date. And that's something I feel extremely passionate about. Is I mean, one of the things I'm doing at the moment is there is a um, a, a, um, a strategy board in Cornwall uh, around um, around autism, and one of the things I'm doing with my voluntary National Autistic Society hat on is saying to this board of individuals, "Hi, great, how neurodiverse are you? Because if you're not neurodiverse, then how can you be making decisions for those of us that are?" Um, and we're going to work together on, on changing that, which is really, really gorgeous and how it should be, yeah? So those are the things that I'm, yeah, I am, I'm passionate about. But like I said, I was passionate about it before, but literally since last summer, it's like somebody's turned the amplifier to 11, yeah? <laughs> I am like, whoa, I'm off, yeah? Because it's so important. So just uh, reflecting on your advocacy work, what, what would you say that you're most proud of? Oh, whoa. I've, I've been taught by so many people, initially by parents, parents that were challenging me when I wasn't a parent myself, what it's like to have a, you know, to have a son or daughter and to, to, to put their needs gorgeously first and so on. And then people I know have educated me over the years and so on. And that's something that's meant an awful lot to me. And, and, and now with my growing understanding of, you know, autistic culture, autistic experience and identity and so forth. And, and I kind of mentioned it back then it's what I'm most proud of what I feel really passionate to do is to change people's viewpoints to challenge people's ideas to challenge what they know about autism what they know about the autistic experience because an awful lot of people I'm meeting do not they're they're the medical model it's as simple as that they are they are they are totally taught even in the 21st century you know you know autism spectrum disorder autism spectrum condition yeah um oh great you come to us you think your son or daughter's autistic great we'll send you on a parenting course first excuse me you know um even pda you know i know pda doesn't exist it's not in the manuals it must be your fault as a bad parent oh did you know um and i think the thing i'm the thing i'm most proud of is 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 i love teaching i love talking i've got that and I love it when I see people suddenly change, when they go, oh, I always thought that. Oh, no, 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 it's not. I mean, one of the first things I do is I go through all of that, and I, I, I then, forgive me, I, I use, I, I, for some sessions I do, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, I'll put ASD up, ASC up, and I'll put a lot of other terms which are very outdated but very offensive. And people recall, you shouldn't be using that. Like, really? Well, should we be using that? No, and this is why. You know, ASD, no, autistic, yeah. 
And it's, it's challenging individuals to rethink what it means to be human, rethink about what it means to be neurodiverse, and what it means to be part of a, a, a wonderful species that is neurodiverse in, in you know, such gorgeous ways. But it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm proud of just making people stop sometimes and think. Um, there are loads of times when I've been teaching and I've paused and I've gone, and and then we go into discussion. Well, I always thought that. I always thought you mean you mean you mean people autistic people can have feelings and they can be really nice. Yeah, they can. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've had those conversations with people over the years. But so you mean they actually can have have empathy? Yep, yep, yep. You know it, all that stuff that's been shunted out, and you know from a lot of organisations across the planet is old, out of date. And what I love and what I think I'm most proud of is being part of a community that is challenging that and actively changing it because that is so important because that is progression that's the only way as a species we, we we can progress with understanding and accepting all the variables of, of each other and, and that's what i love doing i love that you know you see somebody's face kind of go and they go oh right i thought of that and you see them thinking well that's wrong and then if that's wrong that's wrong i'm going to read that book i'm going to go on that website i'm going to look at this page that's where i get um a big a big kick out of doing and that i've got a lot more to do of um and, and along the way meeting incredible people and still learning still being taught myself is gorgeous too so very often i feel like i'm a conduit and i'm passing on you know that bit about standing on the is it shoulders of giants and all that kind of stuff i very often see something as you, as you know well that's great and share it or direct people somewhere if it's good get it access it use it um and that's what that's what I love doing, and, I, and I'm very very passionate about changing that narrative that so many people have that is so so out of date. Do you have any specific goals on for what you um, want to accomplish in the future? Well, you know, a year ago, um, before everything changed on our on our planet, I was thinking, yeah, okay, I'm doing um, conference work, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going along okay. You know, it's been cool. It's been seven years of being freelance. I like it. I love what I do. And it's fun. I love traveling on trains. I love going to coffee shops, all this kind of stuff that I adore. Um, and then all of a sudden, of course, there's that boom of last summer where all of a sudden my reality has changed. And with that change of reality, I'm changing my perspectives on what I thought I wanted. And what I want to do in the future, I want to make people, I want to, I want to, I want to think of a polite way of saying this. I want that medical model to disappear. I want families to be respected when they go to any professional or any individual and say, my son, my daughter, my child. And I want, I want, the minute, the minute, the minute you, for some individuals, the minute you mention the word autistic or, or ADHD or, or autism, whatever, you have a preconceived idea of what that family is or that person is. And I, I, I want to be part of a group of gorgeous individuals, organisations across the planet that change that. And that's very much, I look at my little part of Cornwall and I think, right, with that volunteer hat on, what can I do here? And it is looking at the professional bodies that are in place and helping them working alongside them to get them to accept what it means to be autistic in the 21st century, that that medical model has to disappear and we have to take on board 
current models of thinking, more accepted, more inclusive models of thinking across the board. And I think, I mean, that, that's that's driving me at the moment incredibly. And and I mean, you know, you're supposed to I have a lot of gorgeous friends who are awesomely autistic and brilliant. And if you ask a lot of them, they will sometimes say, I forget to work to earn. Does that make sense? I am so obsessed sometimes with doing that bit. I forget the bit where I'm supposed to go out and, and do the other stuff to keep the roof <laughs> over my head. But the, the two do link together to me perfectly. I, I want to be part of, of a group of individuals that, that changes that narrative because that narrative hurts people, hurts families, and it's so disrespectful. And it is changing and it has to change. So that's... So that's what I kind of see. I, I didn't envisage this before. I didn't. I've almost become political. Does that? Honestly, I've almost become political. I was going to say, does that make sense? I've, I've become, there's this drive all of a sudden, which wasn't there maybe two years ago, but it's there now. And that drive is to, 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 to get together with other people, to get together in this gorgeous autistic community and, and make a difference, to, to, to change those very, very, very outdated perceptions that I see an awful lot sadly schools you know education professionals workplaces police all that kind of stuff helping those individuals to realize it's not what they've been taught um if I may there's a I mean there's a some of the teacher training in Britain that the you know the input they get about neurodiversity is 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 so so small and yet the continent and their classrooms and be you know overflowing with neurodiverse individuals, what is going on? It's that kind of stuff that is, yeah, I'm becoming quite passionate and I'm becoming mm-hmm. quite political, I think, which I never was before. Certainly political, no, but now I'm thinking, no, no, this has to change. And that's what's that's what's driving me on incredibly at the moment. I absolutely understand that. And we're, we're right there with you, Tigger. Thank you so yes. much, Tigger, for your time. And thanks to our audience for listening to the fifth episode of Amplified. If you're not already part of our social media communities, please do join us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And we also have a website, www.reframingautism.com.au, which has a treasure trove of autistic created resources. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>